Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined by uh, my trusty ally and and producer, Mr. Jimmy Seleski. Jimmy. An ally. That's right. Thank you. I've been working on that credential. Yeah, you used to be my enemy. Now you're more of an ally, I think. Rivals. More of a marriage of convenience than Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, situationship. We we also have... Sorry, but we don't have time for this bullshit today, Jimmy. We also have uh, my friend hanging out here, Mike Mayhew, friend from from high school and, and still doing it. Uh, we're in a band Hello. together. Hi, Mike. Mike might chime in from time to time. Uh, trying to economize this intro as best I can. So, you know, Mike's just some guy. I like him. Yeah, we don't have to rush. We got a solid hour ahead of us. We got okay. more than an hour. All right. All right. Take a breath, Mike Moran. I mean, uh, let's let's just take a break. Come back, you know? <laughs> Uh, but today, Jimmy and Mike, we're doing a special side series episode of The Confessional, where we discuss how we would like a, a film to have been made, right? Yes. We normally call this how, how they should have made it, mm-hmm. but today, Jimmy, we're doing one that has not been made yet, so we're going to call I, it... Can I guess? Yes. How they would have made it? Well, no, because it hasn't been made yet. No. How be- they could have made it. How they could have made it. How they would have made it is also does not imply that, like, if the movie had been made, it would have been made like this. No, if we did how, oh my god, if we did how they would have made it, then it then it would not be. This is the ideal situation. Oh, okay. This is how they should make it. Okay, but I thought the how they should have made it was for movies that actually already happened, and then you're going. Yes. I wish they did this yes. instead. Yeah, this is a side side series. This is. This is how they should make it. Okay. All right. You okay with that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Some fan fiction. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. And we have uh, two guests today, Jimmy, both joining us from Zoom. Uh, the, the first one that we will introduce is, of course, a confessional favorite. He's, he's done this with us a few times, mm-hmm. the classic version. Uh, he's on one of my favorite uh, podcasts out there, Halloweenies podcast. You got to check that out if you haven't checked it out, horror fans. I absolutely love it. They go through all the old series, all the old Fridays and the, the Halloweens, and uh, they're on Evil Dead now. Mm. And uh, they're very funny and very interesting. We have from Chicago, Mr. Mike Vanderbilt. Hi, Mike. Well, thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much, man. Oh, and I forgot to mention, recently, I believe, named Chicago's best bartender. <laughs> no bullshit. That's wow. uh, from a legitimate outlet. <laughs> oh, my wow. God. From the, the freaking t- uh, Cheers town. That this is guy awesome. is number one. That is killer, man. Cheers. That is killer. Congratulations. I'm somewhat of a mixologist myself. Well, on the on the turntables you are. Yeah. The ones um, and twos. Vanderbilt, what else you got going on besides Halloweenies and bartending right now? Right now, working on Music Box of Horrors, which uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Music Box Theater. That's kind of our big Woo! repertory art house theater here in, uh, the Chicago, in Chicago. Uh, so we're working on Music Box of Horrors, which for the past couple of years, we have not only, well, 
rather, we brought back the marathon, the 24-hour marathon last year. Uh, the past two years, we have done uh, a month's worth of programming and a drive-in. And I'll just, not at liberty to say what we have planned for October, but it's going to be big. And I think the horror community in Chicago is going to be over the moon and maybe even a little bit overwhelmed with what we're doing really? this year. Yes. Overwhelmed. So it's going to be big. Yes, it, it's going to be big. It's gonna well, be you just gave it away. Ever. It's going to be the Tom Hanks film big. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Uh, the, everybody's favorite picture about grooming. And then on the other end, uh, I've, I've got, of course, I've got a, my hands in all the pies. I've got my, my history of ch- cheap tracks, a history of cheap trick podcast. And I host with my buddy, Chris, where we are going do it, telling the history of cheap tricks song by song. Oh, that's we great. Jump around from, nice. We jump around from decade to decade, era to era. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. And of course I have my Windy City Double oh, Picture nice. Show podcast, which is where we explore the history of the double feature and Chicago theater history. Wow. Uh, we we uh, virtually visit, I would say, right. uh, old theaters that awesome. are probably long gone around Chicago. Land. Well, you think if the Cheap Trick one is successful, will you do Crazy Town next? <laughs> they only had the ones. Oh, no, I take that back. They probably, there's probably more records, there's probably more Crazy Town records than I realize that there is. Of course and there are. Much, much like movies, every band is somebody's favorite band. That's true. That's true. Um, except for Crazy Town, probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's be honest. Um, all right. Uh, so Mike Vanderbilt is here, and we have a second guest, Jimmy. Uh, oh, th- yes. Or third. I don't know if Mike Mayu counts as a guest. We got three Mikes here, so that, yeah. that'll make things even rockier. Yes. But we also have a gentleman who is originally from Chicago. He's a military guy now. He is in Georgia. I met him a few weeks ago at the open mic I do at uh, Waverly Brewing in Baltimore. Okay. So we're representing all kinds of, of locations yeah. this, this episode. Mm-hmm. One name, thousands of locations. Really? Yeah. Yes. Um, this gentleman, he uh, actually does, he'll tell us all about it. He does a, a very interesting... Uh, uh, project involving military and humor. Uh, he's a great dude. I'm so happy to have him here, Jimmy. Will you please welcome? I'm Pete? happy to be here, Pete. I didn't say your name yet, Pete. Can you hold on a second? Uh, Pete's excited. I, I, oh my! I'm God. not Take... happy to be here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Barlow, everybody. Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, I write a web comic called GI Low, G period I period Low, like GI Joe, and it's based off of my experiences in the army. It's a bit like uh, modern day Beetle Bailey. <laughs> but um, as, as was in my introduction, um, I'm, I'm kind of making the move from uh, sit-down comic strip to stand-up comic. Um, so that's that's been an adventure. And as I've told people before, if you go to any open mic in the Deep South, you've got like a 1 in 50 chance of finding me. <laughs> You're at all four of them. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been an exhausting trek from uh, one VFW to another. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'll tell you what, though. The, the South seems like a, a lot of people are, are like going to Nashville, going down to North Carolina. It seems like the, the South is really kind of being rejuvenated mm-hmm. culturally. In you, a you're lot saying of that the South will again. rise again? <laughs> Did two of us just make that same joke at the exact same yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Us Southerners think alike. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Dixie, the old Dixie boy. Yeah, always what are they always thinking about that that time they lost. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm thrilled to be um, getting flashbacks to Chicago. Like you talked about the music box. I, I haven't lived in the Chicagoland area in about 12 years, um, so it's like okay, this is this is nice. Awesome. Have been to the music box? Amazing theater. Indeed, it is. Cool. So you guys may have crossed paths before, perhaps. 
It's a small Boston. city, Chicago. <laughs> you know, it's it, one one horse town. Small, biggest small see, town in the uh, right. That's the thing. Like Baltimore, they almost certainly would have crossed paths in some way. Oh my god! Like if they were both familiar yeah. with the same. If venue. two people do anything remotely similar, they know each other. Yeah, yeah. They've at least crossed paths, or they badmouthed each other to oh, somebody yeah. else. That's. I mean, there's still time, Mike. I can still badmouth you. There's still time. <laughs> you probably have. You probably didn't even realize it was me. <laughs> uh, Pete, where can we find your uh, the the GI? What is it? GI. GI low. So G. I. Low. it's um. Yeah, it's it's a riff on uh, G.I. Joe, Waka Waka, um, but it was also an example of how to not give yourself a nickname. Uh, my last name is Barlow, L-O-W, and so in basic training, I, I tried coining that as my nickname, and it never stuck because you can't give yourself your own nickname. Yeah, right. well, yeah, yeah, you got to earn Goose or Maverick. Especially when you're all military guys, it's like this isn't a distinguishing characteristic that we're all... GIs right now. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it did become a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, because it was like, it, it was a failed nickname for myself. I named my comic strip, uh, you know, originally The Adventures of G.I. Low, and now it's my nickname, like, because I'm associated with the comic strip. Right. You made it happen. I yeah. did. Nice, nice. It, it, and, it took uh, 12 years, but I made it happen. And, and uh, you are a drill instructor, correct? I was a drill sergeant wow. uh, for two years. Um, which it, just to meet me, I know it's like naturally that guy was a drill sergeant. They could, yeah, exactly. I know you just you give off. Is it, I, I thought you were Arlie Ernie uh, in the flesh for a second. I, I get mistaken for him a lot, and I have to point out that he's been dead for about you know five years. <laughs> yeah. And how many how many uh, overweight recruits did you in fact drive to suicidal madness in your tenure? If I may, um, I lost track at sixty seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I started wearing a bulletproof vest every time I went into the bathroom. I was like, not today. Right, right. <laughs> good, good. Well, that's good. All right, you guys. So today we are working on what we would love to see in an ideal world if they came to us and they said, hey, confessional, we like your ideas. We want you to actually produce, direct, and write the next Elm Street film. Uh, and we're giving you free reign. This is what we would do. Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is us doing an impression of that if that were the case. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And from what I understand, a lot of important people listen to this po- Oh, by the way, d- listen to this. Did you know uh Quentin Tarantino actually listens to Halloweenies according to Vanderbilt? Really? He has listened to episodes. As far as I know, because That's when Mike freaking Rothman, incredible. Wow. main man and co host um Do you think he like jumps around him. throughout the episode maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Argue, yeah, just wanting to get his opinion in. Yeah. But he, uh, he, when he talked, when Mike Rothman interviewed him, like he suggested that he had listened to it and that he had he had opinions on what they were they had to say. That was before I joined up, though. So oh, okay, and he, I believe he said that uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five was the best in the series. Correct? That's his favorite in the series. That Absolutely sounds like some qu- he's very contrarian. I could see him having that idea. Then again. Part five is very trashy on purpose, right? So like right. maybe that's why he likes it, right? Yeah, that's that's the. I mean, of all the films that kind of feel a little bit Tarantino esque in that series, I would say Part Five is probably the closest, right? I mean, there's a scene where a guy is singing while pooping in an outhouse to his girlfriend. <laughs> that feels like something I'd see in a Tarantino film. Right. We just need to see like a close up of her feet while this if is happening. If we saw more feet and the N word dropped a lot more times, it would yeah. straight up be Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's get to our first uh, confession here. So this is our friend Pat Stork, who often co-hosts the How They Should Have Made It, but we, I figured since we have uh, everybody here, we oh, hey, Pat. Uh, we just have him right in. This is his idea. You like Pat, Mike? You know Pat? Yeah. Oh, wow. How do you know him? Remember Pat was uh, oh, started right, right, doing right. the videos yeah, for yeah. us. Okay, yeah. Hey, Pat. Um, yeah, Pat's a local karaoke and uh, kind of Mondo video guy who does some some projects around here, not unlike Vanderbilt's in Chicago. Uh, Pat says, from the beginning, Freddie is, this is his pitch, from the beginning, Freddie is showing up in background details. No signage is readable. When Nancy isn't in a scene, she's hidden in the background somewhere watching. Why? The whole movie is a dream and follows dream logic. Avoid too much why and how does this work? As it goes along and her friends are picked off, she sees it. They are sharing a dream space, which is why nobody can go full God mode, but they can do uh, some lucid dream tricks. At the end, they defeat him. But why aren't they waking up? Ooh. What do you guys think of that? That's, that's ominous. Not where I was going, but I don't hate it. Okay. All right. I, 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 the interesting direction of making a Nightmare on Elm Street literally a nightmare as a right. movie, rather right. than like constantly going back and forth. Well, some have suggested that the first one is that, that the entire thing is a nightmare. I, I think that was Wes Kirby's intention because, um, as I understand it, he, he hated the tacked-on scare ending um, because he wanted it to be like, no, this movie is a nightmare, and the only time we ever see Nancy awake is at the end. Right, right, right. Well, what what was uh, let's let's hear about your your ideas, Pete. What would be your initial uh, pitch for for this type of? Well, for my inspiration, um, I went to the 2010 um, remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm going to be the contrarian in the room. I don't hate this movie. Yeah, me neither. It, it is uh, probably at least like one of the three most unpopular uh, Freddy Krueger movies, but um, I think there's a lot to like about this film. It, it, so I was kind of approaching this as right, like, what did the remake do right, and what did it do wrong? And it did a lot of both, in my opinion. Um, so I think if if I was going to approach this, um, yeah. just give it, us your, we'll, go with, we'll go back and forth with with how we'll do the whole movie, but just give us like your general idea of like my general idea is to do something like how uh, the Platinum Dunes remake of Friday the Thirteenth went to basically parts one through four for inspiration rather than just doing doing like a straight up like remake. Right. So, um, I would say have a big broad ensemble of actors. The the movie I was thinking of the most would be like nightmare on the street part three or four, where we've got all of these kids. And I would say, instead of being a group of friends, it's a little like how part three, they all really don't know each other. So there's this Springwood, Ohio, we've got a, uh, group of kids and they're all experiencing these nightmares and they come together through this shared, uh, you know, psychosis, but at least what they think is psychosis, um, almost like a breakfast club situation where like from different cliques mm. and, um, they all realize what's going on, which then ties back to the fact that, you know, these parents are responsible. Um, so instead of just like in part one, it's four friends and they're the four targets for Freddy Krueger. It's like, but what a coincidence that, these four parents were right, responsible right, for killing right. Freddy Krueger, and then they, they their kids grew up and started dating each other. Right. I, yeah, I love that idea of having them just be people around the town that don't necessarily know each other. 
Um, so it, now, it's Pete, let season, me ask you different ages too. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. What, what, where would you be like, as far as lore, would this be in continuity with the other films or would you, would it be a reboot completely or would it be some of the films or how would you do it? I would say reboot. Now, one thing that the remake I think did well was they basically created a whole new Freddy Krueger, you know, starting out with like recasting. I mean, Robert England is so tied to the part, but you know, Jackie Earl Haley, I think, did a good job of creating his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think I would keep uh, the remakes approach of instead of just being a child killer, like the, the, the child molester. And then um, the remake also had an interesting angle of what if he was innocent, right? Which they and didn't honestly, commit to. It would have been so much better if they did. I think that's a, that's a, the most squat, one of the most squandered plot points I've seen, particularly in a horror remake, because mm-hmm. I like what I liked about that so much is that, it stays in line with the series, with the idea, but it just turns this one thing on its head, which it doesn't make Freddy a hero, but it you, makes him a little bit more, I guess, you, you have uh, empathy. Yeah, I think it yeah, makes him, him scarier if he was innocent. Yeah. Um, because it's just like this, this pure vengeance um you know like catapults him rather than like i will continue i will finish what i started i'm gonna kill off the kids i wanted to kill the fact that he was innocent makes him right. a creepier character yeah. in my opinion yeah i agree i completely agree uh vanderbilt what what would your uh take on what would your general outline on a pitch be well first and foremost and this may be a hot take i gotta say it even as somebody who relies on these franchises coming back so that my my podcast sure. Halloweenies can build a season around it. I don't ever want to see another Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever again. Oh my god! When, and then not, I don't want to see another Friday the Thirteenth ever again. What? And Whoa. I I'm one hundred percent serious on this. I I've seen it all. And like, if the Halloween reboot from Dave and Gordon Green had been more successful in my eyes, I mean, it made money. It was successful but had actually made good on the promise of being a true sequel mm-hmm. to those original, to that original film. Maybe I would have had faith in it. Maybe I would have said, okay, there's still life in these series. I, I, I just don't care. But here, anymore, here's the thing. You know? well, here's, here's the thing. This is an ideal situation where you can literally have any director like, like, Oh Yeah. In, oh, I know in, the game. We're, in reality, game we're in, in reality, is there going to be a great Elm Street reboot where we're like, "Oh my god, that was as good as the original. That was as good as three. Probably not. But in this game, we can right. create. That. Oh yeah, no, yeah. That's what I'm. That's that's what I'm building up right. to because I think the big problem with like something like that Halloween 2018 remake is that there's always this. We're doing a back to basics approach. Mm-hmm. Back to basics. Back to basics. Why do I want to go back to basics? I've seen the basics. I've seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's probably, it might be my favorite horror movie of all time. It's really? up there with the Evil Dead and Halloween. Oh, I absolutely wow. love that movie because of the imagination. Mm-hmm. It has more imagination than most of the franchise, particularly yeah. the franchise. It is, it is the, probably the, the best, one of the best premises for a horror movie ever. And it's pretty shocking that it hadn't been done before, you know? And any, That's, I say that all the time when I, when I start, you know, pining you know mm-hmm. just talking about how great the original night right was. right it, like why do i want to see back to basics let's see some imagination right which is why if i were going to do an elm street sequel first off no more nancy nancy's arc is done nancy's i i kind of don't like her i kind of think she's a bad actress and don't really I, like I'm her. Team movies, nancy. i'm gonna defend nancy and heather langenkamp 
Big fan of Heather Langenkamp. Big fan of her hair. That mane of hair that she has in that first movie. <laughs> I, think she's, streak. I think she's the worst thing about the first movie. I got to admit. Oh, this, I, I, don't, I think I, Johnny Depp's performance is worse. There are so many people worse. that say that. And I don't think her performance is any worse than I've seen in any other horror picture. I'm team, right? Al- I'm team Alice. I, I mean, I think. Well, that's. I'm glad you brought that up because I would say if you're going to do it, bring back Alice. Sure. Nancy's story has been told. Right. right? Well, I think they could like, not to cut into your time, yeah. but like, I think they could like, uh, again, do an amalgamation deal. Um, and the remake was kind of, I think, playing with that because I was listening to the names and, you know, Nancy, uh, played by Rooney Mara on the remake. But then, like, um, the, one of the characters is Jesse, which is the main character in part two. Another character is named Chris, is in like Kristen from uh, part three and four. I right. mean, you could, if you're well, going to remake this, pay tribute to all of them. Well, but, but Vanderbilt, would you make a remake or would it be, uh, like, my pitch would be in continuity, basically, in a loose it's, way. It's got to be in continuity because you can do it. Um, and my pitch whoa, would whoa. ideally. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on one second. This is saying it's, we're, we're going to run out in 10 minutes. In 10, 10 minutes, yeah. We have a 40 minute time limit. Well, let's keep going, and then we can start up another Zoom call. Okay. Does that work? Okay, sorry about that. We'll edit all this, obviously. Okay, go ahead, Vanderbilt. So, you know, you bring back Alice. I mean, that's really the, uh, the gist of the picture. What I like the idea of is when you're, building, when you're building in the continuity, you have to say to yourself, and they kind of touch on this in Freddy versus Jason, well, what do we do now? These kids are dying in their dreams. What do they do? Which is why I like the idea of even if Alice isn't the main character, going full on Inception, where they're sending a SWAT team in <laughs> nice. to go after Freddy Krueger, and maybe that's not what works. Maybe they end up needing the Dream Master. Right. They need to bring in. Like, I, I feel like element. I do. Kind of feel like military and SWAT teams and stuff rarely kind of work in slasher movies, though, because they never look right. They always look like kind of cheap or something, you know. But that, that's well, just slasher work movies. Jason goes to hell. One of my favorite. Parts of Jason goes to hell is that opening. Yeah, but that's like, that's different to me because that's that's you expect it to be kind of cheap and shabby and you know what I mean, like. And it works in it works in Hellraiser Four where they have this essentially the Space Marines going after Pinhead. I like that concept. Okay. Maybe that's not. Maybe that shows my <laughs> lack of imagination that I just feel like. But what else are you supposed to do if you're doing it within the continuity? Why wouldn't you send in, like right, the Blackwater right. or you know a mercenary group? To take okay. out Freddy Krueger. And then you kind of make it, you could make it more of a, I mean, look, Freddy Krueger is never going to be scary again. He's just not. See, I, I, t- I take issue with that, my friend. When pe- people always say that, they say the same thing about bands. Like, they're, you know, Metallica is never going to write an album as good as Ride the Lightning. But it's, it's like, why is that a rule? What? Like, who said that that was a rule? Because I haven't seen anybody break it. I know, <laughs> I know but that's what I'm creativity curious, and artistry is about. With your inception on Elm Street, is this going to be funny, Freddy Krueger, then? It would have to be if you're building on the continuity. I mean, it's one of those, it's like you've, you've been sold that bill of goods for so long. If you didn't get the quippy, because you got to remember, though, Freddy Krueger was always kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. It was just a different sense of humor. Because you remember, people forget in the first movie when he tells Nancy no running in the hallways. Yeah, like yeah. he was, he was a dirty old man. Like right. he he had these quippy little jokes. I mean, if you could lean into that a little bit more, it would work better. But I just don't think it would. It's next to impossible to make. I feel Freddy Krueger 
100% as scary as he was in those first two movies I up mean, until the opening of three again. I would argue that he was at his best in part three because he towed that line. I mean, he was making wisecracks, but he was making wisecracks as he was killing teenagers. Um, it, there was some sort of like it, it felt really malevolent. You know, the original the he was script was even more so because they really leaned into him being a, a child molester. Right. Wes Craven's I did not script, like the original script of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. There were parts I liked. I think overall the movie we got was better. What yeah. I don't understand is why did he kill children when he was alive and now he kills teenagers? Why didn't they just always make him a teenager killer? He kills teenagers who are visibly 27. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the problem. You're 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 looking you're looking at actors who are 22. Like if those characters like picture yourself like those characters are supposed to be what, 15, 16 oh, yeah. years old? Yeah, they're always picture yourself at 15, 16. Right, right. I mean, I I will defend that. I mean, there's there's obviously the uh the practical reason of him killing quote unquote teenagers. Um, um, because for starters, you can hire older actors who can work longer hours. Um, but I think them being teenagers does lend some a, a, a creepiness to it, where like they, they're emerging sexuality. Yeah, you know, I just don't see why the backstory involved children and not just teenagers. Like, make them a, a murderer who killed high school kids. You know, like oh, I don't see why they would be, change the mo like that. It could be that the. the they're now at an age when they're starting to realize the mistakes of their parents. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. they're starting to inherit that. Cause when you're a kid, you're, you're very oblivious to all this, but then like, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, you know, my, my parents made mistakes and right. in, in the franchise, obviously it's a very big mistake. The thing though, is or, that they know, didn't, they didn't make a mistake though. <laughs> they did the right thing. Didn't they? They like, you know, I mean, like yeah. the guy got they, away they, and they I killed mean, him. It, it depends <laughs> on what you, it goes back to Death Wish, it, uh, the film Death Wish, book Death Wish. It's whether you believe that vigilante violence right, right. is is okay. If you'll look the other way because what the mob did was right. I I think in that situation, what they did was right. Even though it may have been unlawful, I mean, it's like, you know, that's like saying, well, you, you know, that you shouldn't be fighting Freddy in your dreams when he's trying to kill you because technically he got off. I, I think there's still, you know, like as Mike pointed out, the is vigilantism right? I mean, it's still something that's going to haunt them. And um, one thing I would keep for this remake that the original movies did very well is have all of the parents be kind of awful. Right. Like um, I'm watching the remake, um, the 2010 remake, and it's just like these, this very like pristine version of Elm Street, and all the parents seem like they're very, you know, just good, noble people. It's like no, in the original movies, all parents were like neglectful alcoholics that's a story of a lot of neighborhoods because from your child's your from a child's point of view you see everything as kind of you know hunky dory leave it the beaver but yeah. as you get older you realize that yeah this this one was cheating on his wife mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. one was a drunk you know yeah all that yeah stuff. and that's that could be cool to like kind of have that more be a theme of of i mean and they do kind of touch on that a little bit in the nightmare series like I think the Nightmare on Elm Street series works best when you suspect that all of these kids would be a little screwed up, even if there wasn't like a dream ghost trying to kill them. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Because kids are screwed be up anyway. Yeah, um, and I think that's often like a good horror is like life is happening, and then a monster shows up. You know, like life. There's already problems going on because that's what life is. And then, and then death shows up, you know, like the exorcist was kind of like that. Like they didn't live this ideal life, you know, they're just living like humans. And then a problem that they've never encountered before shows up. All right. I'm going to give you my little pitch real quick. 
this would be a Lega sequel, kind of using the the whole series as a as like a backstory, but not a very you know not a super loyal one. Just kind of a vague backstory. You know, we don't have to like get into the intricacies of like you know how did this happen after Freddy's dead or Freddy versus Jason or anything. Uh, my dream director would be uh, Panos Cosmatos, the uh, the guy who did Mandy and uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. And it would be like the atmosphere would be a late 80s vibe, but trippier and set in modern times, more of an homage to the late 80s slashers. Like, I feel like everybody does homages to like the mid and early 80s, but there isn't a lot of that like late 80s synthy mall core kind of uh, huh. thing I like going that. on. Yeah, back when it, back when the '80s got really ugly. Yeah, from yeah, like, like '88 to right, '91. Exactly. I consider '91 to be part of the 80s. right, right. That whole Madonna kind of mall era, like you know, that synthy, like like that song that opens uh, Jason uh, takes Manhattan. You know, like that. Yeah. Like I, I feel True like classic. that's that's a big chunk of the slasher legacy, and uh, it. I don't know. I think it'd be, and that's what I think of when I think of Nightmare. Like it reminds me of like you know probably because that's when I realized you know that they existed. Uh, was like that late 80s kind of high school vibe, like kind of watching my sister and her friends and, and the kind of MTV style of the day. Uh, we would have a CGI'd Robert England, uh, you know, as Vanderbilt. Yeah, you might as, you might as well at this point right. because he's the only guy that can do it. The Star Wars movies have shown and TV shows have shown that you can do right. it. And it doesn't matter if it looks a little wonky yeah. because it's a dream. Exactly. It would be trippy and weird. And, you know, maybe he could do some scenes as himself, but other times he would be, you know, just his face put onto someone else. Um, or and, a giant snake. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be all sorts of because CGI looks good these days. They're able to do it right now. For, for like oh. 20 years, it looked horrible. Now I it, want a practical effects snake if we're doing talking Nightmare Part 3. See. Let me talk about this for a minute. This is something I always say, like, as much as I do uh, advocate for practical effects, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is one series where utilizing uh, what you can do with computers now mm-hmm. could really, truly create a dream world. Right. Yeah, I think so, that's, too. That more authentic to what dreams are, which where there's literally no rules. Right. right. Yeah, I think a new Friday would be great with all practical effects, but uh, a new Nightmare, I think, could benefit from... You know, like, I, I don't need that old, like, really kind of, uh, I don't know what's the word for, I mean, I love that look of practical effects from the 80s, and I'd love to see a slasher that that really kind of, you know, uses 100%, like, I'd love to see Tom Savini come back for the next Friday or something like that, but with Nightmare, I think it would be cool to do, like, a trippy CGI kind of world. Um, okay, so this is my premise. A group of Monster Squad slash Frog Brothers type teenagers celebrate their high school graduation by spending their summer traveling from location to location, exploring their favorite urban legends uh, in weird areas like the Mothman in West Virginia, um, Bunny Man Bridge, all that stuff. Uh, so basically, my pitch would be like kind of a like, you know, why not have a more kind of monster hunter, nerdy, like horror nerd group of kids? <clears throat> and they're actually seeking horror, you know what I mean? So maybe that would kind of mess with Freddy's powers because it's like, what do you do when they actually want to encounter Freddy? You know what I mean? And uh, my idea would be, uh, let's see, I wrote this all down here. Okay, so here's our plot. A group of Goonies-esque outsider teens uh, go on a post-graduation trip. There is one less stop. Our main girl wants to go through the others. Uh, they, aren't store- they aren't sure about it because they don't know if her story has any grain of truth, and there seems to be almost no info on the internet. 
As it turns out, Alice is now the full-time Freddy Keeper for Springfield, scrubbing any mention of him from the internet and buying every copy of any mention of him in print to destroy, thereby keeping his memory faded and his power impotent. Alice, who has learned anything and everything about dream psychology, often visits an imprisoned Freddy in her dreams, though he can't do much but mock and tempt her. Our main girl, however, outsmarts Alice and figures out what she is doing, thereby awakening Freddy. These kids are kind of different than in the past because they are looking for horror instead of running from it. Can, ki- can Freddy kill the kids who aren't scared of him? Uh, Freddy also uses uh, the kids' favorite urban legends that they have encountered on their trip and their dreams, eventually revealing the psychological reasons behind each and tormenting them with it before killing. So because they're like not afraid of Freddy... Uh, he, he first, he uses the, the, their favorite urban legends that they've encountered on this trip. And then when he realizes they're not afraid of them either, he twists it around and finds like the psychological reasons behind why they have these archetypes in mind and gets into their personal lives and scares them with that. So that would basically be my, uh, I, I like the idea of the young kids too. Like, I think, uh, it, Kind of showed me like if you it might be cool to do a Friday or a Friday a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with actual like age appropriate kids. I think you could do that more now, mm-hmm. and it's also scarier because you're gonna if you see like a ten year old and in Freddy's world, it's a lot scarier than if you see a twenty seven year old pretending to be a high school yeah, student. That's how you make them scary again, right? Right. Yeah. Like it, it, you brought up it. Um, it chapter one was a lot scarier than it chapter two because you're worried for these kids' safeties rather than you know it's like in the it chapter two it's a bunch of middle aged people and it's like oh I feel like they could handle themselves in a fight <laughs> even with a, a I could clown. I could handle myself. Why can't they? Come yeah, on. and it's also like if they die, you know, they had a good stretch. It's fine. Nobody <laughs> wants to live past fifty anyway. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I may have I may have uh, given you the wrong idea. They they would be teenagers in my world. They're they're they just graduated from high school, um, and uh, yeah, so like it's it kind of becomes a thing where like you know Alice wants to kind of deny the past, and our new uh, final girl would would be like about confronting it. And there's something interesting to touch on there in the sense that so if you're doing it within a continuity, that means that the the Freddy Krueger thing happens in 1979, 1980, right? Yeah. So this new crop of teenagers, you, you would people forget about what happened five ten minutes ago, like right. the way the news cycle works. Like it would be very easy to kind of like. So, I mean, are these the grandchildren of the parents that torched Freddy? Or have they all moved well, out of Springwood? Well, there there would be some remnants, much like Freddy versus Jason. It would just be this agreed upon thing that nobody talks about. Well, I'm curious in your version, is Jacob in this and is as the whole, you know, being possessed as a fetus had any impact on his life? Oh, I forgot about Jacob because he's Alice's kid, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alice and Dan's. I think this is the thing. I think he would have moved away and, and Alice would move away, but she's found that it's her duty to do this, to stay and and protect everyone against Freddie. And she actually kind of enjoy like she feels like you know maybe freddie kind of tempts her like in the dream world like you've given up like having a family and having a life because you have to do this all the time and and she's kind of like no this is actually given a whole lot of meaning to my life you know like uh you know it's just kind of the the idea of like you've actually given me a purpose i'm not even sure what i'd be doing without you you know type of thing she'd be a waitress at the crave inn right exactly (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, let's read another uh, confession here. This one is from Aaron Stevens from Erie, Pennsylvania. I think a streaming series set in the late 60s with Freddy in his prime as the Springwood slasher would be the way to go. The show could be a thriller slash mystery told from four perspectives. The police slash adults who are on the trail of a killer, a group of young teens who take it upon themselves to search for answers after one of their friends is killed, and from the point of view of Freddy. Throw in Amanda as a nun who realizes it's the son she put up for adoption who is the Springwood slasher, and you can add some demon slash evil Catholic aspect of a story. In terms of bringing the nightmare into the series, some of the main characters, including Freddy, would be plagued by bad dreams. Maybe even each episode starts with a nightmare of one of the characters, and then that episode is about them. It would be, uh, it would, it would not be the die in your sleep nightmare. Just the concept of whether you are the killer, the police slash adult on the trail, a person of God fearing the worst, or a child. Everyone has nightmares. P.S. I would ignore Freddy being married and having a child. I absolutely love that idea. Um, I'm really shocked that no one has done like a prequel thing so far. I'll- I'll tell oh. you why I'm no I'm not a ninny and I enjoy being provocative. I enjoy provocative. Okay, not media. not a ni- Mike Vanderbilt, not a ninny. Not Just a ninny. So let's get that on record, everybody. Uh, you know, but I do think that the idea of a Freddy prequel is just bad. I I don't think there's a way you can do it where it doesn't feel like it's in complete bad taste and not well, it's, good. Kind it's of been bad done. Taste. Um, and not just like like a fanfic thing. I mean, uh, Freddy's, Freddy's Nightmares, Nightmares, the TV right. show. Yeah, the the pilot was the prequel. But like, it's all that's all after he had done it. Right. It's not him being the the actual killer. Like when you, it, it, especially since like there's always going to be that implication that he was a child molester as well. It's also kind of funny to me that people will advocate oh he wasn't a child molester he was just a child killer <laughs> like that's any like that's any better well that's you why know? they that's yeah, why they that's... changed it because it was less taboo to say he was a murderer than uh than a child molester apparently yeah but most people who murder children i have no numbers to back this up but i assume that most people who are who mur- who murder children are probably uh molesters too right <laughs> Maybe. i mean i feel like you'd have to talk to a psychologist about yeah that. um <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, as far as serial killers go, like, that's a weird. Well, you guys I were think just. It would, be, it, would be, it would be a hard line to tread during right, right. a prequel but, where Freddy's kind of your main character, too. Right, right. Well, you guys were just saying, though, that it'd be scary to have actual children like it. Well, um, I, I think one thing that that pitch um, would need to retain is uh, the, the fantastical, because we talked about what makes a Nightmare on Elm Street different from other slash movies, especially in the 80s, is that the, the dream element of it the fact that you know freddie well, didn't have to apply by like the rules yeah. of uh, regular logic and if it's just like a guy killing people in a small town i mean that's been done well here here's the thing though i think you would have to add some supernatural in it because we've never really gotten an explanation as to why freddie is a dream demon you know like there's no mythos they kind of did in freddie's dead but we, you know we don't have to pay attention to that but there's no like real reason for why he he returned in people's dreams supernaturally. And if we did that right, I feel like you could explore that, you know? Um, it, and maybe even have... I actually, like, started writing a short story once called Freddy's Father, where, like, the maniac that, uh, that you know, had the fastest sperm to get to Amanda Kruger was uh, a, a uh, psychiatrist and uh, college professor who was obsessed with dream psychology and went insane. And, and also, I mean- also the fact that 
This stuff is actually based on real events, which is really bizarre. There is actually like a disease that kills. It only happens, I think, to Laotian men. Well, no, no, actually, um, my, my two cents on this, and it makes it even more disturbing, is um, it was specifically happening to uh, Cambodians. Oh, right, and, right, right uh, yeah. A lot of Cambodians that had um, uh, moved to America after the Khmer Rouge regime, you know, uh, had executed so much of their family. Yeah. So the fact that it was targeting um, young men and teenagers who had survived a literal genocide, right, right. Um, moved to America where everything was going to be A-OK, and then they died these weird, mysterious dreams, uh, 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 deaths in their dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like, oh, you thought you were safe now? Right, right. Um, would that be, and, would that be uh, in, in really poor taste to kind of add that into the mythology? Like maybe that's where it started from this like horrible atrocity that they lived through in real life? I mean, I, I, I think, again, it would be, it would be treading that line, mm-hmm. whether you do it right. It's, and it's hard to do with the, what Freddy Krueger has become in that Freddy Krueger has become the wisecracking, uh, right. you know, you know pop culture st- uh, post of the 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it'd be tough to bring that into mythology. If he's the literal embodiment of like trauma and also like the trauma that uh, you inherit from your parents, you know, if you're going to get a bit of a hereditary situation, I think you, you could delve into something a little deeper and darker then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah especially have- since it's, it's horror, so you're using, you know, metaphor. Yeah, two things that have always shocked me about the Nightmare series is that they didn't try to claim that the first one was based on a true story because there's more of a grain of truth to that than than Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a lot of other films that claim to be based on a true story. And how fucking like effective would that be to advertise it as like, yes, this really happened in some capacity? And also that they never brought up the the real story in the films at all. You know, they never brought up. I think it's called sudden. Uh, sudden nightmare death syndrome or something like that, you know? It's like, why don't they add a little legitimacy to it and bring in the real thing? Anyone agree, disagree? I, 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 I'm all in favor of making uh, horror uh, a little creepier and a little more medical. Right, right. Okay, so... Uh, so we're, we've kind of established our premises. What would your second act look like in these films? What, what you know, where the vast majority of the killings in the nightmares take place, what would that world be like with that? Pete, you answer first. All right. So in my second act, I would say, um, the kids have all met. They've identified what is all going on. They start to create a plan. Um, again, like I'm, I'm team Nancy. So in this version, uh, Nancy's kind of the, uh, the, the, the leader of this group. And she's devising this plan. However, the parents are getting skeptical, trying to separate the kids. Um, during the second act is when we probably get the most murders of kids being killed off in their dreams. Um, but Nancy's still trying to develop this uh, counteroffensive. Okay. Okay. I like it. Uh, Vanderbilt, what would your second act be like? So my second act is where you start really leaning into the dirty dozen of it all. It's kind of like an extended version of like the last the third act of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, but it all takes place in the second half where all these characters are, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this mercenary group or whatever you want to say is in the dream world, but maybe they get separated, you know, it's, and they're behind enemy lines and that's how Freddy can pick them off mm-hmm. one by one. But it'd be interesting, I think, in, in, you know, kind of straying from the rest of the series is that most of it's going to take place in the dream world. Right. Right. Okay. Rather than kind of waking up and going to sleep, like there'll there'll be something happening on the outside. Maybe that's where they're trying to find Alice. Maybe that's how Alice comes into it. Mm-hmm. But I would want most of it to take place in these dream worlds that we could we could create with 
uh, you know, computer generated special effects. So would would the uh, would the soldiers be able to communicate with each other? Not when they're not when they're in the dream world. Right, right. Like they think, you know, they think they'll be able to, and then they can't. Like, oh, that, okay. That's that's not as much fun, right? They have to be separated. <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. Um, all right. So I kind of already explained my my second act um, with the urban, le- you know, just kind of play on like the whole idea of of a generation of people like us who are seeking out horror and you know why we do that and what are like the real reasons behind it, you know, and bringing in other, other kind of urban legendy things, you know, in this world, Freddie would just be another urban legend except for it's real. And there's someone doing their best to, uh, keep it wiped from the internet. And like, maybe Alice has like a whole collection of books that she's collected from across the country that have mentioned Freddie and them, you know, as like an idea. And, um, and yeah, like I said, like the the kids are faced with uh, the things that actually psychologically terrify them, like their father. And, and they have done that in some of the nightmare movies. But like the whole idea would be like, what's really behind this obsession with true crime and serial killers and horror movies and things like that? All right, let's read um, uh, one more confession here before we get to our third act. This is from Ryan Keeling, Martins, uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia. I like the, the, the idea they are doing with the new Halloween movies, how they only recognize the original in the timeline. I think something like that where they only recognize one in three. Uh, maybe even have Patricia Arquette back as a mom or grandmother, and it's her kids or grandkids dealing with it. And she has to teach them how to be dream masters again. Just an idea I just came up with, but that would be better than the remake. <laughs> all right, so that's kind of that's kind of what we've we've all been saying, right? Like, you know, I like this idea of scrubbing part four because I thought that was just the lamest cop out where they had all of the surviving dream warriors, including the not Patricia Arquette character, get killed off in the first twenty minutes. That, that's that's my that's the horror version of Alien Three. Where right. They're like, oh, you liked all the survivors in the last one? They're dead. Right, right, right. And they really could have kept them around. Like, I do like, and I think I, I'm pretty sure Vanderbilt has agreed with this, if I remember correctly. I do like that they kind of started like a whole new franchise with three and did like a trilogy with three, four, and five, and yeah. kind of explored that world more. But yeah, they could have kept at least some of them around. They didn't need to murder all the Dream Warriors right they away. They didn't need. All right, so one of those, you know, the, the the joke about how the black guy always dies first. You watch Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Kincaid survives, right. and then immediately dies in Part 4. I'm like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, crap, we forgot to kill the black guy. Right, well, right. Let's kill him off, like, right away. So, you, you know to, what? Keep Kincaid around. Yeah, you went to see these movies just to see how is Freddy going to kill this one, how Freddy going to... It's just, it's just cranking in new yeah, gas. Yeah. Like, it's always heartbreaking when you have a character that you... You dig that you spend time with, but right. that that's just that's just horror movies in the eighties. Like I mean, the night uh, Elm Street or not Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth movies were notorious for that. Yeah, and part of it is they if don't they, they don't want to pay them for if, if they even brought back the character that they liked, like they would just be starting with a whole new bunch, you right. know? Yeah, and I think part of the, yeah they always have a brand new group of friends at the next year at school, <laughs> but like okay, that is one problem I have with the Friday sorry uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Is it's like what did they have time to make all of these <laughs> know, friends yeah. to kill off in the new movie? Right, right. Yeah, and I think um uh uh shoot, I forgot what I was gonna say. But yeah, it would have been cool to keep you could have had like a whole big team of dream warriors in, in like part four or something, you know, and, and some of and there's actually I think uh, what I was gonna say is I think part of that was the fact that they didn't want actors to have any leverage over their 
their paychecks because you know it's like if you want me to come back for the next one you're gonna have to pay me more or i'm not gonna come back type of thing and uh so they would pay him for like one scene or they wouldn't bring him back at all in most of those movies all right and I, i'd be cool with getting picture shark back in this yeah. She could be our, well, like our Jamie Lee Curtis. And, and the thing about the Nightmare series too is like we could bring people back like in the dreams, you know. Like we don't. This isn't a, you know, in the supernatural world we can bring back Johnny Depp or you know Heather Langenkamp or whoever. And that's where I would go with my exit. I mean, if we're going to get into the the ideas of the third act, like as much as I was saying this should be Alice's movie, it I think it'd be cool if then in the third act it turns out the reason they're in the dream world is not only to destroy Freddy Krueger, is because they're looking for Nancy. Right. I th- I think a good uh, uh, even though I'm not a huge fan, I do think a Nancy cameo at the end as some sort of like dream angel or something like that could be interesting. But let's talk about yeah, like yeah, I haven't figured out how they work because maybe in the third act, like they realize that the mercenaries aren't working, so they have to rely on Alice and like you right. know, more dream magic yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. brute force. Yeah, and there usually well, there have- usually was like two vanquishings in a lot of the nightmare movies. Like they they kill Freddy in, in one way, and then he'd always like kind of pop up back again, and then they do something else. Right. Yeah. What do you think, Pete? Um. Well, I, I've heard a theory um, that when Nancy died in the dream, because she died in Kristen's arms, and Kristen, you know, had the ability to move yeah, people yeah, around yeah. dreams and whatnot. That um, in order for Nancy not to like get absorbed into Freddy's soul or anything crazy like that, um, that there was some like you know, she, you know, she's like, I'm gonna dream you into a beautiful dream, where it was like again releasing Nancy's soul to continue to do what she had been doing in that movie right. um in this dream world where she can take care of people obviously it didn't work cuz there were multiple other movies and like everybody dies right right so but dreaming Nancy into a beautiful dream again sort of the dream angel who can look out for the kids you know and i neglected to mention the mercenary team would of course be called the dream police <laughs> <laughs> good liking i'm sure they'd be able to trick record well, with I guess with the uh, Hobbit money, maybe New Line can afford a uh, a uh, pol- was just that police? No, just that was who sang that song? The uh, Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. All right, right, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe they could afford it. Um, the, the question is, would they be willing to spring for it? <laughs> um, okay, so one of my favorite parts of of these films is the vanquishing in the third act. I like a good, clever vanquishing that you set up earlier. That's interesting. You know, that's not just like, oh, we have this magical amulet type of thing. What would your eyes, what would your guys' idea be for killing Freddy or seemingly killing Freddy at the end of this film? Uh, I, I honestly, he's been killed off in so many stupid ways throughout the movie, like the franchise. Um, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard a- to kill a supernatural. Like, I, I have found that in films. Like, Jason, you can come up with all sorts of ways. Like, a supernatural villain, it, there's only like a couple of good ways. Sorry to interrupt you. Like, I know. I was gonna say, like, I could give you a longer answer of ways to not kill off Freddy, to include showing him his reflection in a mirror while reciting a, a nursery <laughs> that rhyme. That one's terrible. Yeah. Um, whatever the hell happened in part five, which I, I think was just the, the screenwriters, all twenty nine of them were on cocaine. They were right. like, uh, the, the the nun shows up and then the baby pops out of her back and it's over. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. Um. So I think you know, again, go to the well of the franchise to see like what death was best i think almost an element of from the first one um but to expand upon it where you know the first one uh nancy vanquishes freddie not from booby traps but by turning her back right on him right and being That's like it. i, I really release the, the power 
But what I think could be interesting angle to go in is if there's like um, a, a central focus, a bit like um, in part four where uh, Kristen was the last of the night, the Elm Street kids. Mm. If uh, the movie ended, if there was like that one central like focus point where like the, the person who can bring people into the dreams decides to sacrifice themselves. And by them dying, Freddie no longer has power right, over all right. the kids. And that's that's a great like why the ending of The Exorcist works so well uh, when so many other supernatural vanquishings do not is that it involves a sacrifice. You know, like it's a moral win over like a yeah, actual physical. I like win. I like all that, and I think to double down on the going back to the, like so I think if you deliver if you were to deliver a slam bang sequel that gave everybody everything they want, you know, you know this mercenary team going after Freddie, all the interesting deaths. Pretty shape shifting, all that cool stuff. You know, bring back Alice, maybe Nancy, and but then if you bring it back home and just say, but the only way you're ever going to kill him is by turning your back on him, just like in that original movie. Like I think that's the kind of throwback to the original film that right. works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they all just just kind of uh, refuse to give him any more fear, and that yeah, somehow. I, so then, maybe you know, maybe it could be it like a, a play on spectacular. Do it with some spectacular special Sure, effects. sure, of course. Of yeah, course. yeah. maybe it could even be a play on, like, you know, these macho, like, mercenary guys finally realize they have to, like, you know, let go of their aggression or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but going back to the original, the well in that way, I think after, you know, making this big, ultimate, big, imaginative fucking, like, action picture and then go back to that, I think would be cool. That could be cool. I like that. I like both of those. Uh, this is mine. This is... Um, <clears throat> okay, so within our, our group of, of kids in my movie, uh, they, they start to actually realize traumas with each other because they've known each other all their lives and everything. We maybe even realize the bully of the group, who's also the skeptic and thinks Freddy is bullshit, uh, maybe he even like molested one of the other guys, the guy that he's a, a total dick to, but is still his best friend. Like maybe... and. Uh, so in the end, he realizes he has to sacrifice himself. And because he's the skeptic, he, he keeps like almost in a meta way talking about like, wait, so Freddy can kill you in real life. And then you, or Freddy can kill you in a dream and then you die in real life, but not if this and not, and you can pull, you know, like he's kind of like going over like the, the rules and how, you know, kind of silly they are in a way. So then he realizes at the end that if, if Freddy, if your real body can be affected by Freddy in your dreams, then that means that your if if something happens to your real body while you're dreaming, then you could pull that into the dream. So maybe he like sets it up somehow so that he passes out in like lights a fire, and uh, so his real body is inflamed, and he pulls that into the dream and attacks Freddy like that, and and burns him up again and, and tears him apart and turns him to ashes, something like that. What do you think of that? I love it. I like it. I mean, again, we're, we're keeping the, the sacrifice and also you use the trauma that you have. Good trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Are there any uh, other ideas we wanted to get out here before? We, what would you guys call your movie? Pete. Oh, I didn't come up with an answer. For Nightmare, Elm Street, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the dream police. It wouldn't even have to have a Roman numeral under it. Just uh, you always have to have a cool uh, uh, subtitle. Something with dream in it. And it's got to have dream. It's got to have yeah, dream in yeah, there, right? Yeah. I would definitely buck the uh, the Halloween scream trend of like the the requel, just having yeah. the same name as the first. That, that's stupid. That. Um, dream team. Dream that's, team. That's good. 
dream team. <laughs> like like the 1992 uh, Olympic basketball Absolutely. team. <laughs> if, we're, if we're going to like vintage 80s, 90s stuff, um, especially early 90s, right. yeah, dream team. Right, right. I was trying well, to... Actually... <laughs> go ahead. Uh, one thing that the... Uh, Re- remake, uh, which by the way, I watched twice over the span of 24 hours nice. to research this. Um, all right. One thing that it, it was lacking that I think the 80s Nightmare on Elm Street movies and even Freddy's Dead to an extent did so well, it didn't have like a ton of like great songs throughout. Yes. Like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 is uh, not a good movie. But it has my favorite movie soundtrack of all time. Really, like, that's like the I'm doing homework. I'm I'm writing a paper. Or yeah, Sinead like O'Connor. To Nightmare right. Elm the whole soundtrack is so good, and um, I, the the movie itself is using just like you know instrumental and score throughout. I was like, no, oh, this is if this is Nightmare on Elm Street movie, throw in some Dokken, you know? Sure. Because we the dream <laughs> right, warriors. Right. Well, that, that was me up a little bit. I feel like when they made the remake, that was pre nostalgia. Like they were still kind of. There wasn't a whole lot of nostalgia in the OO's Platinum Dune remakes. You know what I mean? I have no idea who the target audience for the Platinum Dune remakes were watching the movie because it's like you're to piss off the fans and you're not giving us enough to create new fans. Yeah. Well, they they were all very successful, though, from what I understand. I mean, well, from what I read, they all did the exact same thing, which was open really big mm-hmm. and then plummet mm-hmm. the following weekend. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was surprising that they didn't make more sequels to those. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, watching the remake, I kept waiting. I, I was taking notes throughout, and I was like, I want more callbacks. Uh-huh. And I think what the reason why they didn't do more is because they, they had planned on making sequels. Yeah, uh, Jackie yeah. Earl Haley was signed for three pictures. Right, right. Uh, Rooney Mara was signed for two. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, no, we'll do more in right. the next movie. That never yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was so in my ideal world, I don't I don't want just one new uh, Elm Street movie. I want two. I want the first uh, one to be like a standalone film, and then I want to explore more of the mythology and stuff in the second one. Same with Friday the Thirteenth. That's a whole another episode. But I want to do like a standalone <laughs> Jason Stalker movie, and then the next one would be uh, we explore the backstory and everything, like in the same same universe, you know. Um, so mine would be called a Nightmare. And then if I had my druthers and got to make a sequel, that one would be called Elm Street. Ah, ah I see you there. <laughs> All right, guys. Any other any other uh, ideas you wanted to throw in real quick before we wrap up? No, just a play. It was a pleasure talking. I like all these ideas. I mean, I just don't think I don't know if they're ever going to pull one off. Really, you think I this don't could think be they ever have to. I'm kind of. I'm kind of with Mike. I, I think all we have to do to, you know, get more Freddy Krueger is just watch the old ones. See, most I, of them still kind of hold up. I hear you guys on that, but I'm I'm rarely ever of that camp where like I'm I don't want them to make more. I actually right. kind of prefer prefer. See, it, it's one thing if it's like you know they're making like an Exorcist two or like a Shining two like that. I don't want it to happen unless it's like extremely well done. But the fact is, with these franchises, they've made a hundred bad and mediocre sequels to all of them. <laughs> like, and and I enjoy it. Like, I have a separate love for like I have like a love for good horror cinema and then i also have a love for these ridiculous 80s franchises that never stopped you know and it's two separate loves and so i'm i'm happier like i don't care if we get like a silly halloween i mean halloween resurrection offended me because it screwed up what would have been a great trilogy ending with h2o um but uh everything else it's like i i don't it doesn't detract from the originals to me it's like i'd rather see like a, a 
a, a mediocre new one than nothing at all. Well, having listened to uh, several episodes of your podcast recently in preparation for the show, the only horror remake reboot recall that I want to see is the Ari Aster directed Sleepaway Camp reboot, <laughs> which sounds like the greatest thing to ever happen oh, to Western civilization. <laughs> well, Aqueducts and that. This, Sleepaway at this Sleepaway Camp at this point would be an interesting one to reboot because all the sequels stink. The only good ones yeah. at first, yeah. and if somebody does it right, it could be really wild and really interesting. That that actually reminds me of another great little throwaway joke that I that I absolutely love from Halloweenies that ties in with the Springsteen connection. When somehow at some point someone pitched the idea of at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three after we fade away on Jason's body, it goes into uh, "Racing in the Streets" by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where that. Came. I, I'm yeah, trying I to remember how that. How that bit came up. But, yeah, I have no idea, but I loved it. I love like I'm just, sure it was a long ride to get there. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I just I absolutely love ideas like that. Oh, another really good one was uh oh actually well, retrospectively this isn't gonna sound all that funny, but like Vanderbilt, uh when you were you you pretended to know some like ridiculously obscure fact off the top of your head and you were clearly reading the Wikipedia page. I forget what it was, but it was really funny in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what, I tell you, like, with, without looking it up, uh, two-time award winner, uh, it is like just some actress nobody had ever heard of. The the secret to Halloweenies for me is just I'm always trying to make Justin laugh. That's yeah, the trick. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Justin is a <laughs> very get, funny. Yeah, you guys I are both. If I get him, I know that I've right. won. You two are, are definitely very funny uh, people. <laughs> uh, okay, real quick, Pete, where can we find your stuff again? All right, you could find uh, G I Low on uh, Facebook at. G I low comics and on Instagram at G I low, which I believe is G period. I period low L O W Vanderbilt. Where can we find yours again? Your best place. Track me down on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt at Chicago's best bartender. You'll see the name and the blue check mark. And you can find me on Instagram at M a Vanderbilt. Find me on Facebook. Find me all over the internet. I got a paper trail a mile long. And from there, you'll be able to find all of my podcasts. Awesome. That I host and appear on, and I mean, this is what my third, fourth time with you guys. I can't. I think so. I think I so. Keep it up. And and but think I'm, think about both of you. Think about what other film you would like to do for this series because I I absolutely had a great time with you guys and would love to have you back again. All right, I, I do um, want to throw out one theory I have right now. Sure. Um, for those of you listening. Mike Vanderbilt is actually John Mulaney doing a Chicago accent. I just <laughs> finally solved this. Uh, spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, they were saving Chicago, that for Halloween right? season six. Yeah, that's the big reveal. <laughs> guys, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming by. You guys are both great. I had a wonderful time. Please come back again. Take care, everybody. Take care. Take care. And we will see everyone next time on The Confessional.